Since last joining you, I had a video go viral on TikTok, was nearly hit by a car, and almost drowned in a chain link courtyard full of foam. Clearly, someone has up there has it out for me, but no rain, shine, or assassination attempt is going to stop me from bringing you another badass woman of history. <laughs> Today is the last day of what students here suffering from migraines and dehydration from Little Five lovingly refer to as Dead Week. And so comes the dreaded finals. And this will close out our second season of Her Story. You know, we could mourn, we could cry, or we could go on introducing the episode. And speaking of introductions, some of you may remember my good friend Allie from our episode featuring Mary Shelley. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me on again, Mary Jane. This is so fun. This is an absolute pleasure, ma'am. <laughs> um, for those of you who may not remember, Mary Shelley was the gothic icon who invented science fiction, lost her virginity on her mother's grave, and carried around her husband's calcified heart in her pocket. She was a busy lady. She was a busy <laughs> lady. I know. What a role model, right? Yeah, I would say so. Well, anyway, welcome back, Allie. Hopefully we don't scar you like last episode. <laughs> So a few weeks ago, during our women's weekend, Allie and I went to a questionable ramen joint and then took our parents to see Sestia Zamata perform at the Comedy Attic. Her set was amazing, and it was kind of awkward to sit through with my mom when she was talking about, um... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she did bring up, like, a really interesting thing about Amelia Earhart, technically not the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. It was fascinating to hear so much about her life, stuff that, like, no one told us in school. This entrepreneur, pilot, and international celebrity shined no matter if she was on the runway, in the sky, or promoting her own fashion line? Yeah. I mean, like, these are such cool things that we just never knew about. And honestly, like, what the comedy was amazing, but, like, sitting there and learning all these things, I was like, why have we not learned this in history class? Like, where was this whole lesson? Where was this whole unit? Literally, I feel like they tell us, like, she flew a plane, and that's it. Yeah, I think you would, like, cut out a plane out of construction paper, you know? And it was like, oh, yay, Amelia Earhart. Women empowerment. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, today we're going to see a side of Amelia's life that we don't really get to learn about. So get ready for shady businessmen, conspiracies into her famous disappearance, and the baddest lady ever to hit the skies. And if you're like me, you know all about Amelia Earhart's flying, her disappearance, and how Amy Adams played her in Night of the Museum, too. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Great movie. I know. My sister made me rewatch it the other day. I'm like, why are we rewatching this? <laughs> I was, Amy Adams kind of slaps in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like now I need to go and rewatch that. It's been a while. No, no, that's what we have to do. Movie night. Really appreciate the true <laughs> Amelia. Has anyone made a movie about her recently? I don't know. I feel like there was one. I think there was almost like a couple years ago, maybe a documentary. But now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like it's probably not very accurate. <laughs> probably not. Well, hopefully we'll give them some material to learn about today. <laughs> so let's get into it. Amelia Mary Earhart was born July 2nd, 1897 in Atchison, Kansas. Her parents, Samuel Edwin Stanton Earhart and Amelia Amy Otis, named Amelia after her grandmothers, as per family tradition. Before Amelia, her mother had given birth to a stillborn baby, but two years after, she got, Amelia got a younger sister, who was named Grace. The girls had a unique childhood. 
Nicknamed Melly and Pidge, Amelia and Grace wore pants where other girls wore dresses. They climbed trees, collected creepy crawly bugs, any like literally any critter they could find, and hunted rats with rifles. Interesting. Who gave like the five year olds rifles? Yeah, like at what age? Like it never said. Now I'm picturing like two like yeah, like toddlers, like yeah, ten year olds. <laughs> Who would give their kids rifles? I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe back in the day. Yeah. But that's very, like, precedent-setting, like, wearing pants around. Like, I because, like, that just, yeah, that's kind of crazy. That that was even, like, crazy in the 1950s, and this is, like, way before then. Yeah. So. When could women wear pants to Congress? Like, the 70s? I think it was, like, yeah, 60s, 70s. 60s, 70s. Very late. I know. Like, it's very interesting. I'm, Amy, their mom, was, like, very much progressive in terms of, wanting them to have education and to kind of have this, like, more free-range childhood, which apparently, like, her very stoic grandparents were, like, not a fan yeah, of. Yeah, not having. They're like, no. No. And it was definitely something that Amelia was self-conscious about when she was little, about, like, how she looked different, but um, and sometimes even behaved different. But I think it really, like, you see kind of early on how this, like, kind of built her into who she was. Mm-hmm. So besides hunting with rifles, in 1904... She and her uncle built a ramp modeled after a roller coaster in their backyard that went straight into the family tool shed. I don't know. (laughs) There was an adult supervising this, and he just said, absolutely. So little Amelia walked away from this homemade roller coaster with a torn dress, bruised lip, and as she was literally launched into the thing and flew into it, like threw into the tool shed, the exhilaration of flight. This is actually looked down as like this really pivotal moment in her childhood that would like set her on the path to flying, which is kind of crazy. Amelia and Grace, who now goes by her middle name Muriel, were homeschooled by their mother and their governess. An avid reader, it was not until she was 12 that Amelia enrolled in public school at grade 7. Her father retired early due to alcoholism and had trouble retaining work. And when her grandmother suddenly died, the estate passed to Amy and houses and all its contents were auctioned off. Amelia recounted this moment as the end of her childhood. Her parents split, and Amelia moved to Chicago, where, announcing that her local high school science program was nothing but a kitchen sink, she enrolled at Hyde Park High School, and she was miserable there. Her graduation yearbook photo in 1916 listed her as A.E., the girl in brown who walks alone. Oh, that's so sad. I know. That's like a lot of, like, big things happening at someone who's still so young. Like, seventh grade, that's, yeah... So sad. And through all of this, Amelia had big dreams. She kept newspaper clippings of successful women in male-dominated fields like film, law, advertising, and engineering. She started college at Ogden, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Ogant's School in Pennsylvania, but never finished her degree. With World War I raging, Amelia visited Muriel in Toronto for Christmas of 1917 and began training as a nurse via the Red Cross. She worked at the Voluntary Aid Detachment at the Spandia Military Hospital, preparing food and giving out medication. Then, because history seems to just be playing on a loop these days, a pandemic hit. Because why not? The Spanish flu reached Toronto in 1918, when Amelia was still working late shifts at the hospital. She was actually hospitalized herself in November with pneumonia and sinus infections that lasted until December. A failed sinus procedure left her with worsening headaches and she was unable to work for a year because of the damage it caused. 
She lived with Muriel, reading poetry and learning to play the banjo. Nice. <laughs> this would actually eventually affect her flying days, as she had to wear a bandage to cover a drainage tube through her nose on cold days at the airstrip. When in Toronto, Amelia and a friend visited the Canadian National Exhibition for Airfare, a World War II flying ace, think like Snoopy from Charlie Brown, <laughs> like the Halloween episode, which is elite, best one there is. So this World War I flying ace was watching them standing on the sidelines and had the great idea that if he flew straight at them, they would scatter like roaches and it would be really funny. This guy literally sounds like the last person you should ever let near an airplane, but okay. Amelia stood her ground as the, pain, as the plane passed by, saying, I did not understand it at the time, but I think that little red airplane said something as it switched, as it switched by. This was not the first time Amelia had crossed paths with the plane. When she was little, she saw her first plane at another fair. The aircraft was so wiry and rickety that she refused to take a ride. <laughs> In 1919, Amelia decided to go to Columbia University to study medicine instead of her previously selected Smith College, but left to join her parents in California when they reunited. On December 28, 1920, Amelia and her father went to Long Beach, where soon-to-be-famous air racer Frank Hawks gave Amelia her first plane ride. That 10-minute flight cemented her desire to learn to fly. Amelia worked odd jobs to save up the $1,000 needed for flight lessons, which she began January 3, 1921, under Anita Netta Snooks. Netta was a pioneer for women aviators, and just to reach the airfield, Amelia had to take a bus and walk an additional four miles. Wow. Conditions were tough, as were the demands for looks. To match other female pilots, Amelia cut her hair short and slept in her leather jacket three nights a week to give it this like rough-and-tumble, worn-out look. After six months, Amelia purchased a second-hand airplane, which she named the Canary for its yellow coloring. On October 22nd, Amelia flew to an altitude of 14,000 feet, setting a record for female pilots, and on May 5th, of 1923, she became the 16th American woman to earn a pilot's license. When her parents divorced, Amelia went back to school and eventually began to work in Boston, helping finance Dennis Airport and was even the first person to fly out of it. She wrote articles about flying and promoted female pilots, hoping to build a woman's flying organization. This would help gain her reputation that would set her up for her flying career. So you've probably heard of like Charles Lindbergh. Mm-hmm. For anyone who doesn't know, he was the first guy to fly across the Atlantic. He was a huge celebrity. His son was kidnapped and murdered in an infamous trial, and he mucked around with Nazis. So, there you go. Still, at the time, Lindbergh was beloved and created a flying fever. Amy Philip Guest, another pilot, wanted to be the first woman to cross the Atlantic, but at her family's objections to the danger, she decided to sponsor the effort, hoping to find another girl with the right image. Cue Amelia Earhart getting a call from Captain Hilton H. Rayley, asking if she wanted to be the first woman to cross the Atlantic via plane. Here comes my least favorite person in this entire story, publicist and publisher George P. Putnam. You remember this guy, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's always one of these guys in the episodes who just sucks. <laughs> Meet George. I hate George. George sucks. George does suck. <laughs> So George interviewed Amelia, inviting her to join William Schultz and Lewis Gordon on their plane, The Friendship. 
on June 17, 1928, the friendship completed its 20-hour and 40-minute flight from Newfoundland to, to southern Wales. This is when we are taught that Amelia Earhart became the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. But that's not true. She was the first woman to be flown across the Atlantic. She didn't get to fly the plane. Amelia remarked upon the landing, Soltz did everything. Had to. I was just baggage, like a sack of potatoes. Maybe someday I'll try it alone. So, like, what is the point of, like, having her just a passenger on the plane? Like, why did it have to be a woman, you know? Like, why didn't they just have another, like, man go on the plane and say, oh, he was the first person to be flown across the Atlantic? I don't... Like, if she didn't get to do anything and didn't get to practice any of her skills, why, like, go through the trouble of finding someone who had the right image if it's not even something that she was, like, getting to take credit for that she actually got to do? My understanding is that because it was, like, a big publicity stunt, they wanted to promote, like, get on this flying fever by having this oddity, this supposed girl pilot, who they could use to promote all of their goods to. Because it wasn't, like, super public. Even though she told reporters and stuff, it wasn't, like, publicly acknowledged. Like, publicly, like, understood that she wasn't the one to, like, technically be flying the plane. Right. I guess that makes sense, too, because it could probably get twisted pretty quick. Like, yeah, she flew the plane. And then everyone just, like, because they think that's so amazing, just kind of spread that. I guess especially if you were a fellow, like, woman at the time, you might be like, wow, that's so cool that she did that. And then it just catches on really quick. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's all George is doing. I think he wanted to market stuff. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to be able to, like, sell stuff to women and not make sure that it's not just, like, something that can be marketed to men. I guess that yeah. makes sense from a marketing standpoint. I guess so. It's still kind of weird, though. Yeah. To think about. Yeah. Especially because, like, that definitely was not – that definitely didn't make her feel great. Like, she yeah. was just like, oh, I was just kind of there. Like, I didn't do anything. She called herself a sack of potatoes. Yeah. That is so, like, heartbreaking. Yeah. Thankfully, Amelia didn't let this get her down too much. Well, we I don't know that for sure. That's hearsay. <laughs> Have you been keeping up with the Donnie Depp trials? Yes. Dude, the word hearsay. <laughs> don't drink alcohol, but if I took a shot every time the word hearsay was said... I would have alcohol poisoning. <laughs> anyway, moving on, because that's, that's a distraction. Okay. So Amelia received a huge welcome when she flew to Southampton, England, flying and later purchasing a plane owned by Irish flying legend Lady Mary Heath. When Amelia, Soltz, and Gordon returned to the U.S., they were welcomed as heroes and even visited Calvin Coolidge at the White House. Apparently sharing similar features, the press dubbed her Lady Limburg and Lucky Lindy. The United Press was a little more classy, naming her Queen of the Air. Immediately after returning, Amelia began a grueling lecture tour from 1928 to 29 at the insistence of her publicist, George. This is the part of Amelia's life we don't really get to learn about in school. Her image was carefully crafted through promotional details, and she was a savvy businesswoman and entrepreneur. She wrote a book on flying. She upset her sponsors when she promoted Lucky Strike cigarettes because it was unbecoming of a woman to smoke. Amelia was heavily involved in promoting items, especially when it came to fashion. She had her own athletic clothes, as like fashion line, and created modern air Earhart luggage. 
So obviously, you lovely listeners, you can't tell, but Allie is the most fashionable person on the planet. <laughs> so I think, Allie, you'll appreciate all this. Amelia Earhart was the first celebrity to have her own fashion line, designing her own pieces for collections that focused on fashionable clothes that were practical and comfortable for women. Which, like, it doesn't seem revolutionary, but it kind of is. Yeah, I bet that, like, honestly, now, like, you're like, oh, well, so many people do that. But I feel like at the time, that was probably something that was so controversial because, you know, women weren't really, like, it wasn't really a thing of in terms of comfort. Like, they didn't, it was just like, don't wear pants. And it was like, oh, okay. So <laughs> I don't think it was really a huge, like, thing to be, like, comfortable with what you're wearing probably until she, like, showed that that is something that can exist. Absolutely. Another cool thing that she did was she was the first, like, fashion line to sell separates instead of, like, matching clothing sets, which is kind of interesting. Like, yeah. this is where you can, like, interchange stuff. Right. That's so That's so interesting that, like, I know because now, like, you hardly ever buy anything in sets, you know? Yeah. Like, you always are buying things separate, so that's so interesting. It's. I feel like I've seen, like, a lot of roots of, like, what we see now. Yeah. We were literally just talking about fashion before we did this, so... <laughs> I mean, if it works, it works. So, for years, Amelia had sewn her own clothes, and now her AE line of wrinkle-proof, sleek, feminine clothing was being sold at high rates in stores like Macy's. The line debuted in 30 major cities in the 1930s, in an interesting marketing ploy, catering to only one store per city. And in each like department store, they had her own separate mini boutique. Wow. This was to create, like, a novelty of the items and also, like, make it look, like, more high-end. Mm-hmm. Just, like, just kind of fairly genius marketing. Yeah. So, much of these marketing efforts were to finance her flying. She promoted women's aviation as an associate editor at Cosmopolitan, which I didn't know that she worked for Cosmopolitan. Oh, yeah. Promoting commercial airlines and even sponsored public transportation efforts, like in D.C., With her reputation growing, Amelia wanted to solidify her merit as a pilot, completing her first solo trip across the Atlantic in August. Oh, excuse me. With her reputation growing, Amelia wanted to cement her merit as a pilot, completing her first solo trip across North America in August of 1928. She began earning the recognition of other pilots, and she was even competing as a racer in the Women's Air Derby. That sounds so dangerous. I mean, yeah, I was going to say that sounds really like it could be very problematic. <laughs> I think it's more of a race than like a like a roller derby kind of situation. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, but still, why use the word derby? And I'm just thinking you're like knocking other planes out of the sky. Yeah, like, like bumper cars. <laughs> yeah. In 1930, she became an official at the, Air, at the National Aeronautic Association, helping set international standards for women's flying and record keeping. She ga- became president of the 99s, a women's flight organization, and protested the 1934 Bendix Trophy Race when it excluded women from competing. Amelia had been engaged to Boston chemi- to a Boston chemical engineer, but the couple split in November of 1928. And here comes her publicist, George, sliding into her DMs. You remember this from the comedy show, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just how awful he is. So George proposed to Amelia six times. Wearing her down until she finally agreed to marry him. Like, buddy, take a hint. They married at his mom's house. 
Interesting. Can this guy literally get any worse? It's very choice of him. Cho- <laughs> he wouldn't even like take her to like not even a courthouse. No, yeah. They're just like, no, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it here. In my mom's living room. <laughs> if it was his living room, like absolutely do Did it. Did she officiate? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. So the wedding was on February seventh, nineteen thirty one. And on the day of the wedding, Amelia handed him a handwritten letter saying that she would not expect him to be monogamous because she sure as hell wasn't going to be faithful to him. (laughs) She also insisted on having privacy and her own spaces so she wouldn't be bound to him at all times. What a legend. She didn't even, like, send this in the mail. She just handed it to him. Yeah, she's like, these are my vows. (laughs) Oh, my God, these are my vows. My vows, I will not be faithful to you. I will not spend all my time with you. (laughs) I don't want to marry you. The pastor, the priest is just like, Okay, yeah. He's like, I don't know. Like, George is like, I want to be in a partnership. I want to do this, like, with us. And she's like, I don't want to be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. What a legend. I remember that the comedian, so she, like, said that, and we all, like, all of our jaws dropped. We're like, whoa. You don't really hear about that in the 1930s. So Amelia referred to the marriage as a partnership insisting on keeping her own last name and laughing when the New York Times insisted on calling her Mrs. Putnam. The couple had no honeymoon as she immediately began a nine-day promotional tour. George literally scheduled a tour so they wouldn't have to go on a honeymoon. He's li- I hate George. So they had no children. Shocker. But Amelia was fond of George's two sons from his previous marriage, David and George Jr., it would come as no shock that she began planning her solo flight across the Atlantic very soon after they got married. <laughs> so on May 20th, 1932, this 34-year-old Amelia Earhart set off from Newfoundland. Journalist Stuart Truman gave her a copy of the Telegraph Journal to confirm the date of the flight. Under strong winds and mechanical problems, Amelia landed in a pasture in Northern Ireland instead of her pre-decided Paris location, taking up 14 hours and 56 minutes. Amelia became the first woman to fly nonstop across the Atlantic. She earned the Distinguished Flying Cross from the Congress, the Cross of Knight of the Legion of Honor from the French government, the French, and the Gold Medal of the National Geographic Society. Amelia soon became friends with celebrities, including Eleanor Roosevelt. Wow. Um, so when she was at a White House dinner, Eleanor remarked how dangerous it must be to fly at night, to which Amelia offered to show her. I repeat... The first lady of the United States was so bored during a dinner, she allowed Amelia Earhart to kidnap her and go on a midnight air time joyride. (laughs) Eleanor eventually got her own student permit, but never did become a pilot. And some suggest that she may have had a romantic affair. Huh. I'm just going to leave that there. But uh, on your own time, guys, that's all for there. That's all for you. So Amelia did actually become the first pilot to complete a solo flight to Hawaii from Hawaii to California on January 11th, 1935, where she passed time listening to operas on the radio. She flew from Los Angeles to Mexico City on April 19th, then becoming the first to fly nonstop from Mexico City to New York on May 8th. Amelia placed fifth in the Bendix Trophy race, infamous for its danger, and began plans for circumnavigating the globe. 
once again, notice she's doing all this crazy stuff after she got married to George. <laughs> she just was, like, not wanting to be home ever. Literally. She's like, I could fly across the world or I could stay in the same room as you. And no. <laughs> so her first attempt to navigate the globe went south. Literally. She flew from Oakland to Honolulu in March of 1937, but technical troubles delayed the trip and eventually Amelia's radio operator left the mission, leaving her and second navigator, Noonan, to complete the flights. We'll come back to that. They try again, this time attempting to fly east instead of west. Amelia flew from Oakland to Miami, publicly announcing her trip to fly the globe. Conditions were poor, but on May 1st, Amelia Noonan left, traveling the first 20,000 miles with success. They visited South America, Africa, Southeast Asia, reaching New Guinea on July 29, 1937. The last 7,000 miles would be flown over the Pacific. Boarding the plane Electra, Amelia Noonan set off for the Howland Islands, a supposed 20-hour flight that would have them arriving on July 2nd. Amelia would radio in altitude during the flight, with the last signal being near the Nakuma New Islands, 800 miles into the journey. Cloud cover was thick, and it was suspected that Noonan had used celestial na navigation to determine the points. Things start getting dicey fast on this last leg. Amelia is communicating with the U.S. ship Ineska via radio for bearings on their arrival times, but they are operating on different time zones set 30 minutes apart. So already, like, their clocks are just way off mm -hmm. for each other. And something happens to the radio where the it Itaka can hear Amelia, but she can't hear them. This would be a very nice time to have a radio operator with you right now. Mm -hmm. Records of their logs are dire, as technicians report that they were sweating blood trying to fix their machine because Amelia had only half an hour of fuel left. Amelia received Morse code directions but still could not establish location, and soon after, all contact was lost with Electra. Over the next few days, sporadic radio signals were picked up across the Pacific, but no one could narrow it down to see if it was Amelia. A huge manhunt was issued, with theories most likely being that they either crashed in the ocean or the Nakamura Islands. The search was in vain. The plane was never found, and George had Amelia declared legally dead after two years so he could remarry. Lots of theories well, just before we continue, i just like to reestablish George is the worst. Mm -hmm. Lots of theories have emerged as to her death, or mysterious disappearance if you even believe she is dead. The plane was downed in the ocean. It crashed on Desolate Island. Some say she was kidnapped by the Japanese. Others that she just, like, went into hiding and just keeps on living her life. <laughs> uh, the most disturbing being that after she crashed on an island, her body was eaten by crabs. Interesting. Did you ever hear that growing up? No, I didn't. Yeah, not good. Like, why crabs, though? Yeah, I don't know. So specific. I just always heard that, like, she never, like, reached her final destination and the plane, like, crashed in the ocean. That's what I always heard. Really? Yeah. I, I like, never heard anything. Like, it, it just seemed pretty certain, like, oh, she didn't make it. Like, they crashed. She crashed in the ocean. Yeah. So that's so interesting. I never even have heard about, like, the other rumors of, like, her maybe not dying from it, which is oh. so strange. 
I always thought that she crashed on an island. I didn't know, like, one of the big consensuses was that it was, like, crashing in the ocean. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's what I was taught was, like, she didn't make it. And then just, like, they never found the plane, so I just assumed it was kind of like a the ocean ate it type of thing, you know? (laughs) No, that's definitely, like, one of the main theories. I just so was surprised that, like, I didn't know that until doing this research. I I mean, honestly, though, it seems like something that – you would think that they would try to, like, confirm now. You know, they're always going back and trying to, like, reconfirm things, like, about the Titanic and other things like that. So you would think that this is something that, after hearing there was so much, like, misreporting, they would go back and try to confirm, but still haven't, so. Do you think we should lead, like, a national treasure (laughs) search party? Maybe, like, over after exams, after finals. that would be so fun. (laughs) We'll go to um like Fiji in the Pacific, Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, we can the do the Nicoma Islands. We can do it over spring break or winter break, maybe. <laughs> yeah, actually that would be fun. The weather will probably be easier then too. <laughs> Cause summer kids is one of the monsoon seasons. So be careful of that. <laughs> yeah, good warning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just be careful. I'm in a climate scientist class right now. Lots of talk about monsoons. It's tough. It's tough. I had a dream last night about a tornado. Like, we were in the tornado, yeah. It was very odd. but (laughs) Not you and me, right? Just in general? No, yeah, just, like, everyone was in the tornado. (laughs) I was like, that would have been so wild if you had a dream about me Like, specifically, you got sucked up in the tornado. (laughs) I feel like that would mean something. (laughs) I had some kind of weird dream the other day. Of course, now I can't remember what it is, but... My dreams are always really, like groundbreaking like they're very strange all the time <laughs> you should start writing them down mary shelley had weird dreams and that's how she like started being a published author maybe you could be like mary shelley maybe like yeah maybe that'll be my self-care thing over summer break i'll just and then at the end of summer break i'll have my own like way to make a story yeah so i like it you can publish it. <laughs> As you can see, this is Amelia Earhart's episode, but Mary Shelley's story, once you hear it, never leaves you. <laughs> so while we don't know for sure, it's natural to say that this is one of America's most famous unsolved cases and has become a breeding ground for conspiracy theories. Yeah, there's so many. I know. There were a ton posted on History.com, but I hate History.com. <laughs> So, because, oh my gosh, they were so sexist in their article about the death of Cleopatra. Oh, really? Yeah, it was so bad. They're like, yeah, she just kept trying to, like, have sex with people so they'd make her live. Like, she tried to, like, forestall her death by emotionally manipulating people with sex. And I'm like, that didn't, that didn't happen. That's not a thing. That's, no. Sir. Anyway, I just, I really don't like them. (laughs) But, maybe... As the episode draws to an end, we'll let bygones be bygones. No, never. I'll always say history.com. But another cool thing I didn't know about Amelia Earhart before this. Actually, there's a lot I didn't know about Amelia (laughs) Earhart before this. One of the things, call me stupid, I always thought she died in the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, I did hear that, actually. I, I think I did hear that. Yeah, like I was, I swear I was taught that like she died in the Bermuda Triangle. Like that's where she crashed and she just never got out. Yeah. Type of thing. I feel like it was like the cautionary tale of the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Which is not anywhere near the Pacific, right? Is my. Um, 
Hold on, we're gonna... I mean, you know this, but I'm not one to ask about navigation. <laughs> no, because it's near Bermuda. Guys, I'm so sorry. I need to confirm that I'm not insane. I don't. North I Atlantic right. Ocean. Okay, yeah. thank God. I was just sitting here. I'm like, that's not what we were just talking about, right? I, yeah, I definitely, I feel like that was also something they taught in school. It's like you learned about Amelia Earhart, and then you talked about the Bermuda Triangle. And then those things just like kind of like cemented together? Yeah, I don't. Clearly, if we can't locate the Bermuda Triangle in our, like just between the two of us, or figure out like how Amelia Earhart really lived, public education's got to be failing us somewhere. I mean, like, they just said this is what happened, and like, fifth grade me was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that like, checks. Yeah. Seems solid. Because I always thought, like, she tried to go on the flight, and then she literally made it, like, the first couple thousand miles, hit the Bermuda Triangle, and then just disappeared. I thought it was, like, she took off across the Atlantic, and then, like, mid, like, Atlantic, like, if you were drawing a dashed line, you know, like, yeah. it just, like, the line stopped, and it was just, like, into the ocean. Like, that's yeah. just what I envisioned, but... I mean, clearly that's very inaccurate. <laughs> um, that's almost like worse that she was so close yeah. to making it, a, like circumnavigating the world. I also just like think it's important to circle back to the whole George thing, declaring her dead so that he could remarry. Like, I think that's interesting considering she didn't even really want to marry him. Yeah. So I don't really understand if he was just going to, if he wasn't really like dedicated to her, why... Why marry her if it was one-sided to begin with? I don't know. I think he married her as a publicist and not as a man. Because <laughs> it would, it would like, provide, like, a celebrity status to him as well. Yeah, he was just trying to, like, take her fame. I think so. Steal her fame. And then she died, and he's like, well, that's it for me, I guess. Yeah. That's, like, the two years, like, okay, I'm glad. I hope he healed if George even has a soul. But, like, that's kind of the bare minimum time. Yeah, he really put a timestamp on. <laughs> Literally. He was like, okay, we're done. He's like, okay, well, they tr we gave it our best shot. Do we know who did he remarry to? Um, I can figure this out right now. Was it another, like, famous person? Was he just, like, going around? Was it another one of his, like, publicist clients? What's interesting uh, is that his first wife, oh, my God, he had, did he have four? What a, oh, gosh, man, come on. Okay. Starting to think that he was maybe just not, not a great husband. I don't think he was. Okay, so I think the first wife he had was some kind of heiress. Wow. Like she was like to come from a wealthy family. No wonder he married her, and then divorced. Amelia Earhart declared dead. Then it was a woman named Jean Marie Cosigny James. And then they divorced. Um, after like six years of marriage. Wow. And then he married Margaret Halliband. And then, uh, yeah, he only had the two sons with his first wife. I think it must have been something like he kept marrying all these progressive women, and then they were like, yeah, you're not it. And then he was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> That's the, that might be the sickest burn I've heard all day. He's <laughs> a progressive woman. You're not it. Like, I think they were just realizing, like, I actually don't need you <laughs> like literally like Amelia Earhart she was never even home and like all of their success of when they were like married mostly came from her and like her 
promoting herself. Well, I don't know if he helped, I guess, because he was a man, he probably helped in those times. Yeah. But like, it still was because of her image that that success was coming. Absolutely. I think it's so crazy just to see like how much, like number one, we don't know about her. And then like how much she set in motion. Like she, Mm -hmm. like public transportation, which I didn't know about, like building air, helping like develop airports and like the commercial airline industry, which is crazy. Developing female, like female pilots and making a space for them. Yeah. Um, What I think is really interesting is the whole idea of when she was flown across um, the Atlantic Ocean, the whole idea of her being like, well, I was basically just like baggage. And then she made her own baggage line. Yes, she did. <laughs> she marketed on that campaign, on that pain. So, yeah, I think it's just very like she like you said, like hearsay, but she didn't let it get her down too much because she no. really was ultimately very successful. So I feel like her entire life was just a big like middle finger to <laughs> like, like everything, the, everything, like the patriarch, <laughs> anything. Yeah, that's honestly, yeah, I totally agree. And I love that, like, she was just too cool for school. Like, (laughs) she promoted cigarettes. She had her own, like, revolutionary fashion line as the first, like, American woman to do this. Maybe first woman, like, period. Yeah, and, like, wrinkle-free, that's something that still, like, is existing. So, like, that's kind of, like, I wonder if she she should have patented that if she didn't. I mean. I don't know. Can you patent? I guess you I don't know. <laughs> well, she can't collect the rewards. True. I yeah. Did, I could know. George? I if George declared her dead so he could collect on the wrinkle-free garments, <laughs> I'm leaving. I mean, I mean, like, I don't know. He seems very like schemy. He mm-hmm. seems like very full of schemes. I don't know. Yeah. I just it's the vibe I'm getting from him. I just think that he's like okay, first wife got everything from her that I want next wife well don't know where she went and she was never really home anyways but she was successful so yeah you know I'll take that and go on with my life he's like a weasel yeah yeah very weaselly very weaselly yeah <laughs> that is the new standard of how we're coming um comparing sucky men on her story <laughs> is he weaselly yeah gosh <laughs> she's just so cool all right, so Amelia Earhart, fashion icon, entrepreneur for women's fashion, helped develop flying in the U.S., especially bringing women to the table of aerospace development. And we owe some of the greatest pilots and engineering flight minds, as well as Night of the Museum, too, to <laughs> Amelia Earhart, queen of the skies. All right, guys. Allie, you are a joy, as always. <laughs> Thanks again for having me. This was very interesting and definitely um, might have me sending an email to some elementary school teachers <laughs> asking why we didn't learn about some of these things. <laughs> I will be right behind you in that. <laughs> oh gosh. So for everyone, good luck on your finals, Allie. Godspeed. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining us today. Have an amazing summer. And don't forget to look into more women who made her story. Mm-hmm.